Hey everyone, welcome to Photography Chat, um, Season 2, Episode 19, with the Brothers Wright. Um, we're going to get them on here in just a moment. Um, yeah, so, what's up JP, how are you doing man? Hey Abram. Hey Danielle, what's up Jeffrey? Can you guys hear me right now? That's awesome Abram. I'm glad that uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about the results with that. Uh, things are well over here, Jeffrey. Thank you. Um, just settling into Vancouver. Um, we're just waiting for the brothers right to pop on here. Um, I just sent them a uh, invite to pop on with us. So there they are. All right, let's get them into the chat. Okay, they should be with us momentarily. There they are. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Um, oh, <laughs> it's acting a little weird. Oh, what's it doing to you guys over there? We lost um, your video, but that's okay. I can hear you. Oh, that's weird. Oh, <laughs> okay. Let's see if we could get them back in here. Oh, weird. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Technical difficulties. How's everyone's week going? There we go. Oh, there we go. There was like multiple Beautiful. invites on the screen blocking the screen. Oh. <laughs> so I think we we're trying to ask to join. And you're, yeah, you're inviting, you're inviting us. us. No worries. How's it going? Really good. Let me grab my coffee. I like your you guys' good? background there. I'm not bad. Um, just getting uh, settled into the West Coast again. Uh, it's a bit different than uh, being out east, but uh, it's a little brighter than usually when when I'm uh, broadcasting this. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was back in Toronto, it would be like eight o'clock at night, not five in the afternoon. Yeah. Right, you right, just moved right. to yeah. uh, BC. Yeah, I just moved back to Vancouver. Nice. Is that where you grew up? Um, I grew up in uh, the Kootenays, actually, in a very tiny mountain town called Kimberley, um, which, fun fact, is the highest elevated um, municipality in Canada, I believe. Cool. Um, and also <laughs> part of the atomic free zone, because it's at such an altitude that if atomic bombs were to go off, um, it's high enough that uh, you wouldn't typically see any fallout which was one of the one of two reasons why my father moved us there when we were kids wow interesting yeah because he, he was like a, a war buff so he was like paranoid about that kind of stuff 
and then they didn't want us to grow up to be hooligans in the grand city of Calgary. So we were just <laughs> hooligans in a small town instead. <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, I got married uh, in Banff. Oh, shit. Uh, almost two years ago. Congratulations. And Banff is beautiful. I, I love Banff. Yeah, it's amazing. So Luckily, he got to do kind of a little mini moon there after because it's Banff. Yeah, I went up to Jasper and it was beautiful. But since has not been able to really go on a full yeah. honeymoon because of, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, that thing that shall not be named, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, did you get a chance to check out like Lake Louise or anything like that while you were up there too? Yeah. And that, that, uh, that water is just something else. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Emerald Lake is also a favorite of ours. Nice. Really cool. Um, Glacier National Park's really cool too, checking all that out there. Totally, yeah. We got to we got to visit the beers and cameras groups uh, group up in Calgary when we went too. Nice. So it was pretty cool to meet some of the local photographers in, in that city. It's a really beautiful city as well. Yeah, Calgary's not too bad. You know, yes. I'm uh, a secretly a Calgary boy. I don't really tell people too often that I'm Albertan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I typically identify as British Columbian. Um, but you guys, like, are are you originally from California, like born and raised kind of thing? Or? Born in California and then raised mostly in Seattle. Oh, wow. Okay. So very, so very, yeah. So As teenagers, of, we came back to the to SoCal, but. You could have been part years, of Cascadia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, most of our, our younger years stomping around the, the forest, rainforests of Washington State and you know, making forts and stuff. But then we got moved back to California, got into skateboarding. Nice. As, as most people in California seem to. And yeah. photography. Surfing. <laughs> Super yeah, cliche. So <laughs> what, what, uh, what got you guys into photography? Um, it, I would say mostly skateboarding, actually. Yeah. We started uh, just taking photographs of each other on skateboarding when we were teenagers with our dad's Olympus OM1. Mm -hmm. Nice taking the film to the photo lab and getting the photos back and just kind of learning every, every role we shot. Mm -hmm. um, and that led to us uh, getting more passionate about it. And then we would follow all the different photographers that were shooting back then in Transworld and Thrasher and stuff. All film and back then. All film and a lot, lot of stuff on Chrome, uh, black and white, all darkroom printed, and, and then put into the magazines. Very creative with like, um, off-camera strobe in an environment on location and like overpowering daylight and stuff like that and so we got really into all the gear that goes with yeah and those type of challenging shoots and that's kind of like where we got the bug loved skateboarding loved the skateboard magazines um and realized we were better at the photography part mm -hmm. than the <laughs> skateboarding and breaking my arm and stuff like that <laughs> yeah skateboarding is uh it's it's something else for sure um i've had quite a few guests that have links to skateboardings in the uh the chat here um yeah. which has been a lot of fun like uh because i mean like that's what also kind of got me into photography too is like most of my favorite photographers are all skateboarders too yeah, yeah. they're so good it it kind of goes well with analog um there's a lot like with uh, street skateboarding there's a lot of like improvisation um, finding cool locations and it that goes with photography getting creative um, with the landscape yeah exactly so it definitely still today suits people who are into photography or analog photography um 
the whole skateboard. They tend, tend, tend to be into both at the same time in that scene. Um, it just attracts those type of people. Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, it was wild, like hearing some of Grant's stories about his uh, his adventures with it, and then also he's he's actually the first guest that um, got me on to asking people if they have work they want to share, um, because he sent me like 500 megs of stuff in a compressed file, being like, "Hey, here's maybe you want some stuff to share on there." I was like, "I never really thought about that before," but um, I was really familiar with all of his skate work but he also had a ton of his like fine artwork in there yeah. and like, holy shit, that blew my mind. I was like, Grant, where have you been hiding this stuff, man? <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. He's really talented. He was an inspiration of us, ours as well. Yeah. Yeah. And he's such a chill dude too. Totally. Yeah. That was, um, that was fun at the, the San Clemente thing, like in the before time to, yeah. to film today. Mm -hmm. That was really fun. Can't wait for another one of those. Yeah, I can't either. Like, I miss all of those, like, you know, photography, um, just adventures and, and meetups and, um, you know, the, the workshop weekends and stuff like that. Like, just being able to connect with, um, you know, people that are like-minded. Um, yeah. It's been, like, nice being able to do the Zooms and things like this, but it's still not quite the same as, like, being able to be there in person and go shooting yeah. together and stuff. Yeah, giving people hugs. Not a lot oh, of man. hugs going around right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I miss hugs. I mean, there's some people out there that are super glad that hugs aren't a thing anymore and probably won't <laughs> yeah. be for a while. Um, I'm not really one of those people. I definitely, I definitely love hugs as long as they're consensual. <laughs> the hugs have to be consensual. Um, but yeah, I miss hugs. And then also like the handshaking. That's something that like throws me off because like it's just it's been ingrained like for most of my life that when you meet someone new you go to shake yeah. hands oh. yeah now it's like uh and you kind of you're <laughs> it's funny when like you end up with another person that's all confused about it and yeah it's uh we're gonna have a lot of like new learning of how to be people again yeah, yeah. and now like yeah. we're all vaccinated so it's great but it's still kind of like uh yeah <laughs> yeah Things are getting better. It's good. It's like, are, are, you, are you vaccinated? Yeah. No, well, I am vaccinated, but are you comfortable with it still? Yeah. Because yeah. It, I mean, it may, it may feel weird now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be a weird time sort of easing back into being able to, like, just, you know, hang out with random people again. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, just all the things I so took for granted in the before times, I look at it now, I'm like, holy, that was, like, so risky. Like, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. was like, I doing? I know, like, a lot of photographers are looking forward to being able to do photo shoots without a mask on their face. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Just yeah, because, like... Fogging up the screen and the camera. Yeah, like, like the, the glasses yeah. fog and stuff and all that. Like, it's, it, yeah. And it'll be it'll be nice when, when that all changes. So, how, like... What uh, what shifted you guys to decide to start making your own film? Yeah, so like Brian said, we started out with skateboard photography when we were teenagers. Uh, we got a little bit into surf stuff because we had a lot of friends that surfed a lot, um, and then got really sucked into music and started okay. doing like live. Like a, one of our favorite bands is coming to town. We reach out to them in an email and be like, "Can we get photo passes and shoot you guys live?" And we're using a lot of the same skills that we learned for skate photography with like strobe lighting and setting up strobes 
in these tiny little venues in San Diego or uh, Corona or whatever, because we were really into like the indie music, emo, hardcore scene at the time. Um, and those were all like little dives places with uh, really weak can lights, weak can lights and stuff. So we'd bring our own Vivitar 285s and light that Strap stuff. Strap them up in, into the the lighting setup so that when we took a photo, it would just flash. Yeah. And, oh, uh, nice. They shoot 100 speed film of a concert. It was great. Yeah. And when <laughs> we went to Palomar College down in San Diego as well for photography and started learning more of the technical aspects of processing ourselves and um, getting into like alternative processes and instant photography became a huge love of ours um, as we were moving into more music photography. Um, and then eventually we moved to LA because that's where music photography is a thing in San like at least in California. In San Diego, there's a lot of live stuff to shoot, but if you actually want a career in it, yeah, you gotta be in Los Angeles yeah, or, New York, okay. or New York, yeah, um, or Nashville. But uh, we did that for a while and started doing weddings. Um, what we would call fine art weddings is we shot only film. Yeah, um, well, a band that we had shot the, we had shot the touring stuff and their album cover um, and became friends with them. The lead singer will ask us to shoot his wedding and then we said, we don't do weddings, man. <laughs> <laughs> we were That's too fair. cool for that man. And he's like, you know, around 2000 weddings weren't yeah. as creative as they are now, as yeah. beautiful as they are. They're actually on the verge of becoming creative at that point. It was kind of okay. Um, but he wanted, he said, no, you don't get it. I want you to shoot like our, our BTS uh, backstage photography, like all black and white, um, you know, Neopan 1600 or the Acros, like just all black and white and just do like whatever a, you want. Yeah. Don't shoot it like a wedding. And so we're like, okay, that's interesting. I'll probably still take a couple of color photos of your family, yeah. but <laughs> I figured your mom and dad might want color photographs of you. But it was really cool. It turned out great. Um, and from there, people started approaching us because they liked the way it turned out. And we realized that there's actually a market back then, which is now a broad market for people who want like kind of handcrafted film photographs of their wedding. Mm -hmm. Back then, everyone's into the new latest 5D and shooting digital and selective color and some really tacky stuff was really popular for weddings. Uh, yeah. For weddings, and but at yeah. the same time, that's like when Jose Villa was emerging and Elizabeth Messina for really high-end weddings on film. And then there was this niche kind of out, like with that of like documentary um, style black and white photography. Um, a photographer we knew pretty well from Florida. Uh, Rixi Zeladeras was really great at that, shooting all of Alaika. He shoot like eight rolls of film with Alaika to cover a whole wedding. And yeah. his work was amazing. It was like street photography. He hand prints um, everything. It was all, all hand printed. And so like we kind of started fitting into that community, which is really cool. Not a lot of people look, were looking for that at the time, uh, but they were willing to pay a decent price for it so we could make a living. Um, and then it kind of grew from there, and that, like the fine art photography for weddings became a really big thing. So we kind of rode that wave for a while, which yeah. was great um, to make money. Um, and that pretty was, fun. The clients that want that are really cool people. We became friends with a lot of them, but kind of burned out on weddings eventually because that's not what we originally wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but long story short, we always were kind of drawing outside the lines. Um, we liked, uh, you know, setting up, our, building our own dark room cross-processing slide film, uh, alternative processes. Uh, we started way back in the day doing the pack films and uh, 
uh, like scanning the FP3000B negatives to get that kind of more gritty look out of it and inverting it. Um, and then also discovered bleaching off the backing of the 100C negatives so that you get a transparent negative you can scan um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that, which led us to, you know, also experimenting with cameras and modifying lenses, building our own cameras, restoring like 100-year-old cameras, stuff like that. And it, we just kind of were always wanting to kind of hack things and find an, an alternative way to do things. Um, long story short, we sh went shooting weddings and concerts. Um, it was great when we could shoot Super 8 or 16 as well. Along, we'd have someone shoot alongside us. Um, and we were always blown away with how amazing and magical the tungsten balance motion picture film looked compared to shooting daylight balance film. And we didn't want to have to shoot digital. I just didn't like the, the workflow of digital. Yeah. And it, took, it takes a lot of work to make the digital try to match your film. And it still didn't quite click in my mind. Even if you make it look like film, it just doesn't have that nuance and serendipity of the film grain and um, just the way that the film cameras work, you know. And we were shooting with cameras we some we made and modified lenses that wouldn't work with digital cameras. Um, so that's when we decided we wanted to try to shoot motion picture film yeah. at weddings and, and live shows. Yeah, and, and we were fortunate to be in L.A. and Hollywood. So we figured out a way to do it where we could just go to the motion picture lab and they could process it, but it had to be at least like 30 feet long. So we had to get a, like a, a bat for our Nikon F3 that would shoot 30 foot lengths. Oh, dang. So you had like one of those big, like sort of Gatlin gun looking backs on yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was like this big, <laughs> it had big wings on it. <laughs> it those worked. things are wild. Yeah. yeah. But we would, yeah, we would spool down from 400 foot loads into these 33 foot cartridges and we'd probably shoot like four or five of them six of them at a wedding yeah um but meanwhile we're carrying around a 22 pound camera <laughs> so we did that a lot but then because we are into like tearing things apart and trying to like figure out alternative processes we're like okay there's got to be a way to do this without having to carry around this big ass camera yeah um because they won't most picture labs won't process film that's shorter than that because it's a long linear process where they splice like if you have a 400 foot can and a 400 foot can they splice them end the end and they go through the process they go through loops yeah oh, okay loops. the loops are are longer than the length of a 36 exposure roll and it's tension-based machine so the wheels are turning and it, as long as something's pulling on the end it grips it and goes through the whole machine all the spinning uh rollers will grab it but if it's not consistently taut um and the tension is being pulled from end to end, and there's splices out of two spots. It'll rip off, and then you just ruin okay. a bunch of motion pictures. You wouldn't just ruin there. your like yeah. three thirty-six exposure rolls you dropped off. You'd also ruin, you know, a scene from a commercial Everything or from Tarantino. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's being so processed? Does, that, does that machine? Is it also stripping off the remjet while it's doing that, or processing? Yeah, it's, it's, the, first, it's the first step in motion you, picture. Yeah, you need processing. a linear process to to strip off the rem remjet accurately and without contaminating the film mm -hmm. um instead of a bath it has to like go through linearly like a, like kind of like a car wash mm -hmm. that way um that way it comes out the other side clean and not contaminated before processing um and that's one of the reasons their machines are we also way. yeah we so when we first started trying to figure out how to not have to carry around like a 22 pound camera at weddings to be able to shoot in low light um 
that's when we started doing like some hand processing of VCN2 film. Um, same stuff, but we just bulk load it in like a little cassette, and then afterwards we'd have to deal with the remjet during processing, which we hated. Like it was a complete mess. <laughs> Got the results, but it would contaminate your chemistry, so you couldn't reuse it, which is inefficient to say the least. Um, and also that remjet layer, if it's not doesn't go through the linear process where it's first softened and then sprayed off, um, which is where the jet part of remjet like is. Water There's jets. water jets that spray. Oh, okay. Off. And because of the constant flow of water during that process, you don't get any of the carbon backing that's being removed embedded in the emulsion. When you do it by hand in a spool, you have literally the carbon backing. Floating. Since it's spun onto a reel, carbon backing is right against the emulsion. And it floats off right into it. Now, sometimes you won't get any embedded in your emulsion. Sometimes you will. If you get like a little fingerprint on your on your emulsion before you start processing, the oils will actually attract the remjet and it'll get bedded in the emulsion. You have a, a remjet thumbprint yeah. in the middle of a frame. <laughs> Stuff like it's, that. It sounds like you're speaking from experience of frustration. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we did it for a while. So that's where, where we started. And a lot of people still do that. Um, they, they love getting the short ends and, and hand spooling them and doing it themselves. And it is kind of fun. But we're like, okay, we're doing this for work. We're shooting 30 to 40 rolls of this. Yeah. <laughs> and no lab will handle it, we got to find a way to just get rid of the remjet. And so that was our first concept. Let's, let's do it, try to see if we can get rid of the remjet without ruining the film before shooting it. Yeah. Um, then okay. the, the original idea wasn't to start a, a company no. and to make it available for other people. It was just to make our workflow better. Um, but two, three years into trying to figure out how to do just that and tens of thousands of feet of film, messing around, building our own machine to do it linearly, as opposed to by hand in the dark with a sponge, <laughs> which didn't work. <laughs> yeah. um, we ended up figuring out how to do it. And we're like, okay, great. I can make a lot more than 30 rolls of film. <laughs> no, because yeah. we actually built a machine that would do it way more efficiently and cleanly, but also we'd probably make around 300 rolls of film at a time in yeah. order to do that. Um, and now we have this giant machine just for us to make our own film. We decided, okay, well, I think, well, we had other people commenting on our work too. Yeah. Uh, we were part of a big uh, film photographer Facebook group where we met a lot of great other photographers and we shared our work, especially at these low lit receptions. Mostly there were wedding photographers in there, but all sorts of, I think the group's still alive. Um, I've kind of stepped back from Facebook over the last five years. Um, but Tons of cool work was shared there, but we would share stuff with people like, how did you get great colors in such low light at these receptions? Like, usually you would shoot the centerpieces and you'd have to have like a strobe or something if you're gonna shoot film or get a DSLR and pump it up to 6,400, 12,800 ISO or video light. And if you didn't do that, you would get all these muted colors. The greens would come out really yellow. The blues just wouldn't even show up. Yeah. But with tungsten balance film, Oh, now you can see everything, the, the baby blue ribbon going through the centerpiece or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so other people were interested too. We're like, okay, let's do this. Let's make, let's make a film, not just for us, but for other people. And the first time we actually had other people besides us try it out after we created our process to remove the remjet prior to shooting uh, was in Las Vegas for the film show with Ryan Muirhead, um, Tanya Lippert, um, who else was involved? Jan Schultz, 
Um, yeah, there's a bunch of people. A lot of cool. Jonas Peterson. Our first testers were pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. You, you can find. And I think Ryan's in in the chat here too. Yeah, talk about me. He says. Hi, Ryan. And, and Kodak <laughs> says, uh, "Love the hat." <laughs> Ryan Muirhead is one of the most amazing human beings and photographers that will ever take photos of your daughter. Not close. <laughs> when she's an adult, <laughs> obviously adult and consensual. Um, no, Ryan Mirad is an amazing person. <laughs> All right, uh, he, I, he wasn't he wasn't a wedding photographer, but no, he has not. a ton of wedding photographer friends. His work is really dynamic and beautiful. Yeah, he. Is, I hadn't he heard great. of him before, but I gave him a follow, and I'll check out his work afterwards. It's great. Yeah, he's a great human being. Um, oh, hey, Ashley Kellerman. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. All kinds of friends in here. Um, yeah, so where were we? <laughs> At that point, we, we did our first like beta run or alpha run of our Remjet removed film for people to shoot, which we ended up calling Cinestill. And it just was great. Everyone loved it. There was obviously some, some glitches in the first couple rounds. Um, we had to learn how to handle it better. Eventually, we stopped spooling it by hand ourselves in the darkroom mm -hmm. and started actually spooling it professionally. Um, in a major push, we've partnered with a bunch of different like, companies throughout the world who make films, such as, um, you know, Adox Film in, in Germany was our first connection. They were, were help, They were able to help us professionally school the film. They're also our distributor in Germany. So um, everything just kind of happened. Really that was around 2013, and everything really kind of snowballed from there. Um, and now we're a film manufacturing company. That's wild. So yeah, it's one of those things you just. I mean, it, it makes sense because it's our passion, but it wasn't what we expected to be doing at this point. Uh, we thought we'd be, you know, traveling the world with rock stars or <laughs> shooting at whoever behind the scenes yeah. at Bonnaroo or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a great journey and it's, it's, we have a great crew and a great staff and it's just, we've kind of, it's fallen, fallen in our laps and we have this really awesome kind of living organism that's our company that that does really cool things and um, tries to contribute to keep analog photography alive and and keep it exciting and accessible and, and accessible yeah. Um, yeah i guess in a way you guys are traveling around the world with rock stars and stuff because like how much still film is out there being shot at live shows and stuff like that exactly it's so it's so cool like on our instagram account we i mean our instagram account is basically where we get to show everyone our portfolio which yeah isn't our photography it's our film it's the amazing things that other people are doing on this film um as opposed to us which is kind of a flip we wanted to make cinestill film for us to make our workflow better to get the images we wanted to get and now there's tens of thousands of people doing that around the world too so it's it's awesome i love it yeah it's i mean i i have to say i love your guys film i've used a, a ton of it i think i still have a couple rolls of 800 um, chilling in the fridge right now. Um, I had a f kind of happy accident moment with it uh, last summer. I was doing a shoot with my friend Mara and it was like a really interesting idea that she had where she was draping this sort of like red translucent cloth between the two of us and then she would sort of pull it off of me and like I'd sort of be shooting her in this sort of like red cloth tunnel kind of thing. Um, but I was... Um, when I set my strobes up, I was testing them at 400 and forgot to change it for 
800 to Ooh. work with the Sinistil 800. And so I overexposed the heck out of the, the shots, but it ended up giving it this sort of like really sort of dreamy, like ethereal look through the, the red fabric. Cause like parts of it were blown out, but it just, I mean, the, the films never let me down. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. I want to ask you guys uh, this question. 800 versus 50. Mm -hmm. Where do you guys land on that one? Because it seems like there, there seems to be more popularity toward, uh, towards the 800 yeah. uh, in the general populace out there. But I have to say, I've kind of really dug 50 a lot more. There's a four-stop difference between them. Yeah. One's daylight balanced, one's function balanced. It's kind of like it's just a different tool that, did, that wasn't really in existence. There wasn't a 50-speed daylight balanced film, so it made sense for it to come into the market. Um, give people an opportunity to shoot cameras with slower shutter speeds, but still shoot their 2.8 lens wide open Yeah, in broad daylight, which is like, you can't do that with a 100 speed film. Not with a Hasselblad 500 CM yeah. or, yeah. Uh, yeah. you can't do that 800 speed. No way. No, you have to stop down, but people who love bokeh, medium format and stuff, it kind of, it's good for that. So that is very useful and it's also a beautiful film itself. Um, with abundant light, it's pretty easy to shoot. With less light, it becomes a little more difficult. Uh, people who love shooting on tripods, though, it's not a problem at all. Yeah. Um, it's just a totally different tool. Yeah. And people love the, the results. Um, you can look at the Instagram account for Sinistil Film. And there's a lot of 800T there and a lot of 50D there, too. Um, and sometimes it's kind of hard to distinguish which, is, which film it's shot on initially because, yeah. initially because of the way people use it and, and stuff. It's just... Well, on Instagram. I and mean, when you get a print back or a scan and you look at it full resolution, it's pretty clear how fine-grained the 50D is. Yeah. Um, but it's just different tool. interesting to hear that you really love it because you're right. People don't talk about it as much. People don't shoot it as much. It's about a third of what 800T sells. Popularity-wise. So, um, but I think the people who do shoot it love it. Ryan says, I've heard some people like your film the most when it's way past you and expired. Thoughts? <laughs> so, as hey. I said before, Ryan is one of our first ever testers. Yeah. Um, so he and we love his work, so we give him from all the time. But he likes to sit on it and let it expire and give it some crazy looks. Uh, he finally shot his last alpha you know, beta test role from back in 2012. So now yeah. he's asking us if, you, if we could age some more film for him. <laughs> Check out his work. You'll see, you'll see some stuff that has like weird like fogging on it and stuff. Probably Sinistil. Probably old Sinistil. Old Sinistil they left under, um, I don't know, under your bed or something, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We tell him, go ahead and shoot it, but we're not going to encourage you to advertise to the world. That's what our film looks like. So yeah, that's, that's one of the things about um, Sinistil that is actually, actually interesting as well. Since it's motion picture film, motion picture film is designed for performance um, as shelf opposed life. to shelf life. You're supposed okay. to shoot it and process it as quickly as possible for best results. Which is why it has amazing shadow detail and yeah. uh, great dynamics and great color fidelity because it's, it's meant to be, you know, coated and slit and perforated and put in a can and go to a production. And they're, they're going to finish that production within, months. within a couple months, right? And then it's going to go straight to the lab and not sit on the shelf. It's, yeah. And the lab's going to process it that day. And like, so where, it's not meant to sit where long at all. something like Portrait 400, I've shot old Portrait, even before Portrait 400, Portrait NC and stuff that's like eight years expired. 
And it looks great. I mean, definitely when you hold the negatives up, you're like, okay, those are a little fogged, mm -hmm. but they scan really even. They, they have their consumer films. Those are professional films, but they're made generally speaking, the still photographer tends to set, buy a bunch of film and sit on it for a while. So yeah. they're designed to have a longer shelf life just at room temperature. Whereas the motion picture stuff, you sit on that stuff past expiration, it starts looking like different. Yeah, Ryan's really disappointed because we've improved our whole manufacturing process so that even when it does age, it doesn't look that way anymore. Yeah. So he's having a hard time replicating <laughs> it any longer um, because we've just made things improved uh, when it comes to like the way the film is manufactured. Yeah. It's um, less of us hacking film anymore and more of us making film in cooperation with Kodak. Um, so it, we don't have a problem with aging really much anymore. A, because when it starts to age, it ages more or less similarly to other films without uh, kind of the weird artifacts. Uh, and B, because Zenistil makes, we supply the demand. P people don't have to hoard don't it. Don't have to hoard it because we're constantly making it. And we don't make too much. So we have rarely have issues with film sitting in a fridge too long or on a shelf too long, unless it's, you know, randomly fell in your fridge and you forgot it was there. But it usually holds up pretty well now. I'm I'm terrible with hoarding it because I remember when um, production wasn't as rapid. So yeah. whenever it would come up at the camera store, it'd be like, bye bye money. I'm buying a Sinistil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People would stock up for like six months because they don't know when it's coming back in stock. Yeah. Now, if it's out of stock, it's going to be back in stock within a month or two. Like, but that's part of it is we want fresh film on the market. Part of it is nowadays also challenges with supply chains with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, some stuff down. But and fear, we're, we're producing oh, regularly. And Fear and Loathing says shooting 50D at night is in, still incredible. It is, and, yeah. You have to use a tripod, yeah. but it's awesome. Yeah. And, oh, and we've got uh, Matt from Kodak and Alan from Leica joined us. Welcome, guys. Hey, guys. Two, two other great human beings that we love. <laughs> I love both of those guys so much, and I can't wait to see them in the new world at some point in real like, life yeah <laughs> yeah like I, I had all these trips planned to go to rochester and just do some exploring and you know go bug uh, matt at the factory there and also boston i miss that place yeah you got to check out parcel 5 eh? that place is going off what's that it's a it's it's a downtown it's, rochester it's this really cool park yeah used to there used to be a pit in it okay and some guy fell in the pit and but now it's a park yeah. <laughs> is that how it goes? <laughs> it it a, little like inside, a little bit of an inside joke. Um, okay. It, little it, Parks and Rec. It's a really cool reference there with Leslie Nopes. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, yeah. Rochester's an amazing city with a lot of amazing people. We go out there once, every, probably every usually day. one to three months. Sometimes like back-to-back -back months. Sometimes we take a couple months off, especially in the winter. Um, <laughs> I don't do so well in snowstorms. That's very, it's it does get quite California snowy weather. there. <laughs> Yeah, because like um, the Rochester weather would be similar to Toronto, and I did not like the Toronto winters very much oh, at yeah, all. Oh yeah, probably very similar, very similar. Lake, lake effect and everything. Yeah, it, it was great because like the Kodak factory was like if I if I could just go across the water, it was really only like I think forty five minutes from my house. Mm -hmm. But you know you can't you got to do the big loop around, so it's like a two and a half hour drive. Well, next time you're gonna go out there, let us know. Yeah, we, let us know. We might be out there. There's a chance we'll be there too. That'd be awesome. I mean, I would, I'm 
there's there's a higher probability that I'll probably end up in LA first because there's a lot of people that I'd like to go cool. visit down there once the border opens up. That's the yeah. yeah. I don't know. I haven't been following up with that. It should be soon. I hope. They were talking June now, maybe July. I don't know. It depends on like how our vaccination stuff goes up here. Yeah, probably up to Canada for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of screwing the pooch right now. So we did too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Everyone yeah. did. It was hard. To... <laughs> it's amazing what a change in management does, though. Like, look at how well you guys are doing now. <laughs> it's seriously, it's, seriously. It's, been a, it's been a roller coaster. The fact that I haven't heard much from my president is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah. No talking about him. That's good. Exactly. You don't want to hear from the guy. You don't, like, want, you don't want people talking about him in the news because the news is never good. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Like, it's, um, I don't know. The, the shit that I'm finding hilarious right now, though, like, you know, just to be political for a moment, is uh, how the Republicans are now trying to say that the insurrection was nothing but a tour. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about that. There, there was nothing bad happened. It, it just, you know, if the media hadn't have blown it up, people would just think it was like another tour. And it's just like, okay, I don't know what dimension you go to tours in, but <laughs> definitely not, not a tour. Wow, interesting. Um, so I'm going to ask it because I know there's a ton of people um, on here listening right now that are wanting to know when this is happening, but large formats in it still. Well, well, we made um, some. We're gonna we're gonna do what we usually do. Yeah. Is, is we we we're gonna string you along a little bit and say we've made some. We're gonna make some more. It's just been a few years since we've made some more. Yeah. So I hate to do that again, but we are gonna make some more. Yeah. <laughs> Very soon. Um, but it's more soon than it would have been. We don't have a date or anything like that. Um, don't be holding your breath. I'm not gonna bait you guys and get the internet all riled up that it, there's some magical new thing coming out. But we do release new things, yeah. right? We have new things that do come out, and they are going to come out. But um, we're not going to put, put our foot in our mouth and promise something that we can't. Well, change. we need to make sure that we stay ahead of it on the products that people are relying on. Mm -hmm. um, before And also, once we do provide it and people start relying on it, we need to be able to keep it sustain that because people will fall in love with it, plan shoots, and then they can't get more. Yeah. So we're doing it responsibly. And um, after this last year... It honestly may have it may have happened if it wasn't for this last year, but yeah. it's going to happen soon. And uh, Stephanie here, who I know is like one of the probably loudest voices demanding for this, asks, uh, "Where are the large format at in the double <laughs> X?" Uh, it's mm, it is a possibility that I would actually expect to see. Um, oh. That's something also that we get requested a lot, and it's a similar situation. Where I would love to see. There's a lot that goes into making a new product. Yeah. Obviously, it's not brand new. It's a, the motion art exists, but a lot goes into making it work correctly in that format and spooling it with paper backing. Um, it's the film itself is amazing. So when you amp, you, you magnify how much larger the format is with medium format like six by seven or even six four five it's just extra amazing yeah well, like no, so she's she's, she's asking large format so large double x and four or five in in a... oh well, yes yeah. you're gonna see double x in in um we're gonna keep producing more of it we're not gonna produce 
50D as our first large format or double X. You're going to be 100T. It's going to be 100T because that's the number one seller. Okay. It's the one people want the most. But when we, when, when we do one, you should expect the other to fall. Yeah. Right? That's fair. Um, so we, out we, of... we don't, don't want to go backwards. We want to keep pressing forward yeah. and making more options. Yeah, totally. So if you can think of it, we're probably already thinking about it too. Yeah. That's fair. Um, so I'm curious, 50D versus double um, X. What what's the volume like on those ones? Like, um, you know, which one's more look popular? At numbers. Um, pretty close. Pretty people close. love people love the BWXX double X. It's a really beautiful emulsion. It's, it's Tri-X, but with tighter grain. If you want to shoot with just the same amount of flexibility, um, very similar. Yeah, I was, I was bucking. It's beautiful. I was bucking mad about that on the episode I had with him, and. I, I asked him if he could get an answer for the alchemy of like why double X is so beautiful. And he got the answer, but he's not allowed to share it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a little, uh, there's some sneaky stuff about it that, that yeah, like, tell people. He, <laughs> he said, it's really amazing, but I can't tell you. And I was just like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting anything out of us either. <laughs> well, that that's fair. I wouldn't expect it, but like after like seeing where this stuff is made, like at the factory, um, it, it's cool to understand like where it comes from, and it's also just wild how these like dudes are just basically doing like alchemy in the dark and like making crystals out of like all these chemicals and stuff and these like big, you know, um, tanks and in, in the like built into the the flooring there. Like it, it was just wild to see how that process works. Yep, there's a reason why we love. We love Kodak. <laughs> yeah, Kodak said they They're loved amazing. your hat earlier there, which that's a fantastic hat. <clears throat> so outside of like Cinestill and in your photography stuff, like what other projects have you guys been working on? Do you have anything else that's uh, been keeping you busy? Or It's pretty much full-time Cinestill these days, which is good. Um, we're still lo we're located here in Hollywood, and then we also have a small location out in Rochester. Our team has grown over the last two years into what we're really proud of, um, which is providing a lot more, we have, we have a whole team now, you know, <laughs> like when we first started, it was me and Brian doing as much as we could um, within our limited capacity and learning how this whole, all this stuff works and, and super fun and creative. But now we're, we have a customer support team. We have people handling all of the online store stuff and we're continuing to add more products there, such as like our, Jobo starter kits that make so you can get like started with one kit at a price that is way cheaper than anywhere else you go start processing your own film and like we're always trying to come out with stuff to make it more more accessible and we wouldn't be able to do that without the team that we have growing here uh, we moved into a new location right before COVID hit um, so not very many people have seen it yet but we're really proud of it that's where we are right now oh nice really cool brick building in central Hollywood um, got a shooting space and we got a lot planned. But besides that, I don't know. I ride motorcycles. Anything to take my mind off of, uh, off of work because I can't do it seven days a week. That's but, fair. Yeah. And then still shooting some photography, but not nearly as much as, as we used to. When you're not getting paid to do it, um, you don't have to shoot as much. Yeah. And... That's fair. Mostly I do a lot more travel work now. Like when, whenever I'm going out of town, I bring a camera. And that's yeah. like an excuse to, to go out and shoot because I no longer have like engagement photos or music concerts that I'm shooting, um, which 
it's kind of refreshing. It's it's nice to be able to to go see music and not feel like you got to hustle a bit and try to like get some photos for the portfolio. Um, but I, still, we'll bring our cameras out to a live show when they come back soon. Yeah. Yes, hopefully sooner than later. Yeah. Like, um, and still, I mean, photography is our life. Yeah. Everything we do kind of revolves around it in one way or another. Um, now it's based on the manufacturing side, um, but still creating images is what we love to do. When you're in introducing it to so many more people too, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Like, we love uh, creating work to share with people in photography uh, i mean you can look at our account and that's all photos that we've taken but then it's even more exciting to go over to this hey what's up <laughs> uh you go over to the cinestill film account and you'll see photos that were enabled to be taken by other people but we did something to help make that happen and in a way that makes me more proud yeah. to see like the diversity within um our, our audience and like the film family, uh, all these different walks of life, different cultural perspectives and creative perspectives, all using this product that we've made available to them and they're loving it. They're creating unique work that I could have never imagined. And if I just kept our like trade secret to ourselves and become like the photographers that had this special magical way to get this look, but we're not telling you, we'd probably succeed. And, I don't know if it would even help us succeed, but we would succeed, but we'd be not helping anyone else. Yeah. And only photos you'd ever see made that way would be made by us, yeah. which would be pretty limited compared to what's amazing out there right now. All the amazing work we see every day. It's hard for our social media team to even pick images to feature. So many good images out there. So many good images. Um, it's like, we, if we featured it at all, I guess that's what hashtags are for. Just go look up the hashtags. <laughs> but if we featured it at all, it would be just a full-time job for a whole team of people just posting. <laughs> it's just amazing the work out there. And it's, it's really, that's really rewarding for us. There's a lot of hard work running a company and employing other people and trying to be a good you know, employer um, and be responsible for an industry and community that we love and want to, to flourish. Mm -hmm. um, so we do the best we can. Um, we're always li listening to people's feedback, keep requesting new products because that helps us make decisions on where to put our efforts because we are limited, but we're also agile because we're, we're small. Mm -hmm. So we can focus on something and accomplish it rather well, rather quickly. Um, and we have a lot of help. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. There's, there's great companies still out there, some old, some new that we work with and the whole ecosystem of film is surviving and thriving. Yeah, I'm proud of that as well. So I think we have a lot of reward not shooting and focusing more on this. Um, more reward than if I was going to just have this awesome, cool portfolio of all this cool music photography that I've shot and album covers. Like that, great. That was the dream. But I think I'm living in a better dream. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, arguably probably more successful than having something that would be more focused is just that, like you know, mm -hmm. being able to. Or is it whenever it rains at night, I think of you, Cinestill Film, Jeffrey says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's some dreamy stuff with that. Um, Film Gaze asked, uh, it was off-topic question, but who uh, created the Cinestill box logo? 
uh, the the which the the packaging you mean? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, that would be me and Brian. Yeah, I think the the name was originally my brainchild. Yeah. And Brian made the original graphic, the design, and then we kind of worked together developing it. We're Thanks. also we're we're visual arts creative nerds, so yeah. we did a lot in Illustrator. Both of us had graphic design jobs at certain points in our early twenties. Um, we're very hands on from the beginning with everything. Now, now a lot of the graphic design that you'll see us release in new products, packaging, and stuff like that, we have other people helping us, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> Great. Um, but yeah, the, the original logo was, I think, mostly Brian graphically. Yeah. Nice. If you guys ever need a large format tester, um, you know, I definitely would volunteer. I think yeah, Stephanie I've, I've would too. You've been getting deep into the large format these days. Yeah, it's uh, it's addictive, <laughs> kind of <laughs> scary. Is. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it started with four by five, and eight by ten will be the next leap here soon. Well, I'll, I'll um, have I'll have our uh, our uh, outreach um, add you to a list of people. Yeah, that should be testing when we have that, a product that'd be dope. test. I, I <laughs> would be happy to do that. You know, yeah. yeah. And you got Brandy here from Texas says I volunteer as a black and white film tester too. <laughs> right. So okay, <laughs> yeah, no, literally, yeah. Email us at community at cinestillfilm dot com and and say that, and we'll see what we can do. Definitely, I'm not gonna remember this right now though. So get it. Oh no, that that's fine. Email. Yeah. <laughs> They'll, they'll put it out there. Um, I, I did have a question, too, before when you are talking about the F3 with, like, the Gatlin gun attachment. Yeah. Did you ever guys ever just, like, set it to constant and just, like, see what it would be like to just fire that thing off? Just with well, the whole... There's, yeah, there's three constant settings on that motor drive. Okay. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact speeds, but, like, one was slower, like, maybe a half second, and another one was, like, maybe an eighth of a second, and the other no, maybe eight, eight seconds frames was fastest. Yeah. yeah, eight frames per second. I'm um, sorry. It was the fastest. Um, I think it was the fastest. But there's three settings. I can't remember exactly. One second, half second. I don't know. Uh, the point is, you could do, like, time-lapse stuff with it. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. We did a little bit of that. Um, kind of runs out fast, though, when you start trying to create motion yeah. with it. Because 33 feet is not that much runtime. We did do our 250 exposures, yeah. 24 frames a second. A second. Okay, yeah, that so doesn't. 10 seconds. Yeah, um, it's fun. It's basically the format cinema uh, cinescope. Yeah, cinescope, which Stop. is the biggest 35 millimeter format for motion. Yeah, which is exactly the same as still. Eight, that's cool. Well, eight perf. <laughs> we did stop motion um, with some. Uh, 33 foot lengths of 800T um, for the Indiegogo video. Our Indiegogo video for uh, 120. Uh, and that turned out really cool. We actually did stop motion. We, we had it processed with Photocam. Um, and they did a direct print, print. print relief. Um, so we had um, you know projectable print and then scanned that. And it looks really cool. Um, I want to do another video like that. It's pretty fun. Yeah. That'd be wild. I, I've only ever seen the uh, the F three. I've never like seen it actually in action, uh, but just like behind glass, like and it just that it looks kind of immense. Like I always kind of pictured what that would have been like when when I had an F three before I sold it. So that's wild. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. 
Yeah, it's so cool. It's I think we have some pictures of it in our Instagram if you scroll way back. Way down, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, on our Instagram profile, if you scroll, scroll way back to like 2013, 2014, 2015, we have some cool pictures of the camera in action. Nice. Oh, and then Dave just joined us here. And I just recently saw his, uh, his YouTube video he shared of shooting the Cinestel 4x5. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, Dave's also another fantastic uh, film human out there who I miss immensely. It's quite the the best community. (laughs) I I would have to uh, completely agree with that. Um, You know, the the people that I've uh, been been lucky to meet through uh, this photographic community have just really blown me away over the last few years. Um, just from like all of them too. Like um, I, I probably more heavy in the instant film community, like through the instant film society and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then when I went to the, uh, the film Padea in San Clemente, like that just opened up a whole bunch more of the community to me as well. Like, you know, I've met so many rad people there and uh, just how welcoming um and, and willing to share everyone has been, has, has just been, um, you know, it's kind of like a restoring faith in humanity kind of moment, much like you guys were saying, where it's like you had this opportunity where it's like you could have kept this process to yourselves and just like hoarded this amazingness for you guys. But instead, uh, you know, you took the opportunity to share it with, uh, with everyone else. Yeah. The, the sharing of information, collaboration, um, learning from each other. It's awesome. It's a it's a really good good community. I mean, you know, the the Leica community is cool too. Fuji Film X camera is pretty cool. Um, but I think we have the best community. We got the best community <laughs> for sure. <laughs> a lot of a lot of great people. It's not that we're better or our, our passion is better than any others, but I think we just attract very interesting people who are diverse and. Um, all have different motives and reasons for doing what they do. Um, and it's, and it's everything from like the highly technical yeah. photographer doing like ultra large format or miss like crazy alternative processes down to the people who just love a point and shoot with some film in it. Yeah. And we all just support each other and get along and there's, I don't see much elitism or anything like that. Um, yeah, pretty stoked. <laughs> um, the community and how it continues to grow and also in the on the manufacturing side and, and the retailer side the business side of the film industry um it's awesome lots of great people i've only had the privilege to meet a couple but they've all been really awesome yeah you know matt's great and uh michael bain from ilford is um he's awesome he's such a chill dude he is I, so cool <laughs> yeah i i really I, I admire that guy a lot, and his work is fantastic when he does uh, share some stuff every now and then. I can't wait until he makes it back out to L.A. and we can have a beer with him again. Yeah. If you hear this, Michael, get out of here. He may. I know he, he, I know he checks things out every once in a while, and uh, you know, maybe he's like checking things out on the podcast. Um, I'm curious, though, since I, I've got you guys on here, um, the – gas stations and night on sin is still stereotype <laughs> how do you guys that's a, feel that's about a that? great word for it stereotype <laughs> i don't know where it came from honestly i mean it looks dope people do so, shoot them they do we definitely didn't design the film to shoot gas stations. no <laughs> um and it, you might 
the stereotype is that that's all it's good for. That's the inaccurate stereotype. But the reality is, you really small drop in the ocean of photos are taking that. It's just it looks so damn good, people share it. Yeah, they stand out. <laughs> so it's people just taking the same photo from different perspectives with a different creative eye. Um, but people always recognize that the content is the same in that photo, and it succeeds on getting likes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah. like the old cars and things like that, too. Like, yeah. It's just yeah. like, you know, why why do those get so many likes? Like, I've, I've had a few creative friends get, like, really supremely bummed out when they've posted some, like, really great photo, but it doesn't get as much love as, like, you know, some of the more stereotypical photos. I have a that theory about that, is people who shoot film are very nostalgic, and we like capturing things on film moments and archiving them on film because they're very nost- it's like we're very nostalgic and we don't want to forget things, especially things that are going to go away, like our child- children growing up or um, a-, a place you travel to or even just random street photos. We're very nostalgic. Well, maybe and nostalgic people tend to shoot film. Maybe petrol stations that sell fossil fuels. Yeah, maybe we're just mm. getting preemptively nostalgic about gas the changing world around us <laughs> yeah that, that could be true it could be subconscious <laughs> it could be subconscious but it's most likely probably the light at gas stations is pretty dope yeah it's just the light <laughs> abundant light and the signs mixture, and, the way, yeah. and the glowing signs yeah <laughs> yeah that that does kind of turn out like i think my favorite sinistil moments are um nice daylight with the 50d um the the very first role of 50D I ever shot was in Denton, Texas. And that that sunlight that you get sort of midday with that stuff mm-hmm. is just like, I took some pictures of friends at uh, Policon and they almost looked angelic the way that the light was like hitting them and the way it just sort of the, the 50D rendered that. It was, yeah. it was just so good. Yeah, I love the 50D. I mean, before before Cinestill, I think what were our favorite stocks to shoot was probably Portrait 400, Fuji 400H, RIP. Don't want to focus on that. <laughs> yeah. And Ektar, yeah. um, and Ektar because it's extremely fine grain. You can shoot it in really bright light and keep your aperture wide open. Um, but it's also really punchy and, and contrasty. Um, which A lot is of people really sleep on Ektar. Huh? A lot of people sleep on Ektar. I know it's beautiful beautiful foam. If you have a camera that shoots lower contrast images because it's old lens or something, yeah. throw some Ektar in it. It compensates. Yes, it does. That's why I think it's a great tool to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. You shoot vintage lenses and things like that. Uncoated like, lenses. Yeah, uncoated. If you're like, my photos are kind of lackluster because of this old camera, it'll make it luster. It's going to give a lot of punch. Um, where if you have a super, super sharp, multi-coated lens that gives you vibrant colors on any film, you throw Ektar in it, it's like it can be much sometimes. You know that that might be what you're going for. Yeah. We it. used to shoot Ektar a lot for portraits, mm-hmm. but using specifically like uncoated vintage lenses. And it looked great. 50D, on the other hand, is much more, it leans much more towards having more neutral color palette all the way across mm-hmm. the board, whether it's portraits or landscapes. It's not going to be desaturated, but it's going to be extremely balanced from highlight to shadow. Neutral, yeah. Yeah, like, so if you have, like, really hard light coming in, it'll be really rich color, but it won't get garish um, and overly saturated, like, crayon reds and yellows. Yeah. Um, I so like how for, it does the blues and greens both. on it. That's, that's, that's what I love about the 50D, is it's, 
different. It's very different from any other color film in, in its speed bracket. Yeah, I haven't come across anything else that behaves quite like it. Yeah. Like it it's definitely in a, in a league of its own there. Um, I do also like how Ektar does blues and greens, like the way they pop in that. It's like just that, that that's a magical one. Like I shot a roll of it uh, at Lake Mead and yeah. the way that the water came out on that is just like, yeah. I, I shot some stuff on 35 mil in Portra and I was like, I hated it after I saw the Ektar stuff. I was like, this is better. I like this. Yeah, yeah. Don't sleep on the Ektar. <laughs> Give it a try. Figure out what you like it for. Yeah. Waste some film and then use it the way you like it. We need yeah. to keep all these tools around, like shoot every different type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like it's it's nice that um, you know most film manufacturers are committing to continue making film. Yeah. We won't mention the green box, but um, you know, most film companies seem to be like really stoked about this resurgence of film. Mm -hmm. um, but I was curious on your guys' thoughts of okay, so film production is something that's fairly healthy right now. Like there's lots of uh, commitment from larger manufacturers, lots of boutique shops like you guys mm -hmm. um, and like Ferrania and Lomography and things like that that are also making other films. But thoughts on the fact that no one's really making new cameras outside of like point and shoots and reusables and disposables. I have, I have a lot of thoughts about this and I think this discussion is going to continue for a few more decades because there's just so many cameras out there. It, well, there's a lot. I have there, an there, F3 there, from the 1950s that yeah. performs be or not F3, sorry, M3. M3, yeah. From the 1950s that just performs beautifully. Yeah, there's, there's just so many cameras out there that work. And actually, to rewind a little bit, people, less people were shooting film 10 years ago. That's a good thing. We're growing. Mm -hmm. um, but there were so many cameras back then and so little people shooting film that like you could get these cameras for super Dirt cheap, cheap or 15 years Dirt ago. Cheap. Like you, you could get, I don't even want to talk about the prices. Um, but some, <laughs> some of my favorite cameras that uh, I'm glad I bought them when they were affordable. Like it's hard to recommend them to people now because they're like, they're relatively more expensive. They're still way cheaper than a nice digital camera, but that's because the demand has gone up, but there's still so many, cameras out there that are functioning well mm -hmm. but eventually they will break eventually they won't have parts to repair them and so eventually it is, there'll be so many of us film photographers out there that's what i was gonna say we I, need more cameras as the trends continues to grow and there's more people wanting cameras because more people are shooting film and more people are wearing out cameras yes there, this discussion will be happening who knows when but i picture in a few decades the good news is by then there's enough people shooting film enough people willing to buy these cameras and uh, you know enough demand for it because there's less cameras available. It'll be it will be produced in a larger volume. Yeah. Which means that this new camera that that can be made can be made more affordable as well. So it's just not something that we need to solve today or can solve today. But we should be. But it's something. Closer. It's something that will have to be solved eventually. But when we if trends continue, which they should, um, it should be a problem. It should be easier should be in awesome. the future. Um, especially with technology improving, uh, manufacturing uh, technology. I mean, people are already making 3D printed cameras. Door good. Yeah. Well, 
so they're they're making like the camera bodies and things like that, but it's shutters still reliant on shutters and all that, which was something that uh, Philip mentioned when he was on the show with me. He's like, it's not necessarily the cameras are the problem; it's more the shutters are the problem. Yeah, well, people are not... still making lenses with shutters in them. Yeah, but if you want a focal plane shutter, that's when it becomes more costly to manufacture and complicated. Mm-hmm. And or if you want to be, make a new point and shoot camera, for instance, it's all integrated in one. That becomes more complicated. Um, Stephanie just said that we could just all shoot pinhole. Yeah, <laughs> but that's well, actually I'm... that's actually a good point. Like no matter what happens, there like no you can build your own camera. Yeah, it won't be as impressive as like an F three or M six Leica. But yeah, we can all capture as long as the materials are available that are light sensitive. You can make images. You can make photography. And then, oh, someone else. Yeah, Stan- Stanley has a Stanley. good point here, where yeah. it's like, what's more scary is that it's hard to get them serviced. And he's right. Like yep. this, my F five. This is my ride and die. I love this camera. It's traveled all over the place with me, but I've made peace with the fact that there's going to be a day, and probably the not so distant future, that it'll just die. Because of all the electronics. Yeah, the electronics are the trickiest part. Um, yeah. The, the and... older the older cameras that are fully mechanical, like not even requiring a light meter, those will always, someone's going to be able to work on those. Any type of person with an engineering technical background can figure out, oh, okay, yeah, no, this just needs to be lubricated or we just need to get a replacement gear, especially with 3D printers. And, and new yeah. 3D you can replace parts. And new 3D printing materials as well. That are much more durable. They are durable and able to do more fine detail. You'll be able to create more parts that, 10 years ago, you thought, oh, how are we ever going to make more of these replacement parts? People are starting to do it already. Yeah. Um, Camera Rescue, uh, if you, anybody knows who they are, uh, they're awesome. They're, they're trying to keep alive the film repair technicians, and they're training people how to repair cameras over in Europe. Yeah. Uh, they're awesome. And that's I think great. There's, there's, I'm sure other people doing that, but that's, that's really important. And there's Retro Photo York in yeah. New York who also has like a huge supply of new old stock of parts. Um, yep. So if, if you have a broken camera, check out them or Camera Rescue. Uh, Alan says Leica is still making film cameras, but they can't fix the light meter in the M6 if it goes out because one of the parts is no longer made. That's reality. Yeah, that's Who why. Who needs a light meter? That's why I shoot M3. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that just, like, you know, when, when I save up after the 8x10 to buy my first Leica, it's yeah. not going to be an M6 now. <laughs> Maybe I'll go for, like, an M4 or something. I do have to say, like, yeah. I recently picked up a Zorky S off of someone, and I've never wanted a Leica more before. Because it's yeah. just... Our first, I've, what's our it, first, go ahead. Our first Leica camera was a Bessa R3. And... Oh, nice. It just wet. It, like at first we're like, right. we got it. We're like, this is so cool. And then eventually we we upgraded to the actual Leica. Oh my gosh. M two, yeah. If you like shooting on any rangefinder, pick up a Leica, man. That's or actually, honestly, the Mamiya six is a beautiful rangefinder as well. It'll it'll be the next step for sure. Like the the Zorky is really sort of fueled the bug. And then I've also been uh, fucking around with this Texas Leica recently. I got a GW six ninety. Those and are cool. It is such a beast. Yeah, it <laughs> like, is. it's a big boy, but it's it's cool. But it also like makes my wallet cry every time I put a roll into it because it's just like only eight photos, really. Like that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but those eight photos are going to be 
amazing. As long as <laughs> I get the focus film. and the, it, well, exactly. You know, that's it, that's shoot the way I look film. at it. Well, exactly. Shoot more, shoot more film because that means that you know this whole ecosystem stays stays alive. Like, shoot more film, support your local labs. Yeah. Um. You know, do do what you can so that we can keep shooting this. Like, it's interesting when I hear people complain about film prices or like my favorite is like whenever people bitch about Polaroid and um, it's just like, if you don't like it, then just don't do it. Go buy a digital camera. Then, yeah. you know, you don't have to have costs anymore per se. Don't you just got to spend a lot costs. more. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. That happens. But in, yeah. with inflation, film costs are cheaper than they were in the nineties, man. That doesn't surprise me, honestly. No. I mean, some film is more expensive, some film, but overall film I do. is cheaper. I do miss the days when FP100C and yeah. 3000B was like nine. Oh, dude, yeah. don't. Yeah. 90 cents a photo for those, that beautiful, Amazing. oh my gosh. Large amazing. format photography, basically. Uh, but, like, I, that's why I hate Fuji. <laughs> I, I, I have a deep-seated hatred towards Fuji, and it, it is all because of pack film. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. We love pack film. It's I don't tough. use the H word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I only use it for that that's yeah. that's where it's reserved for it's been just, a tough uh, go for film man uh, I, I still secretly and, hope that the pack film stuff is going to come back in some, one way or another yeah. well I mean Super Sense has done a pretty good job with the one instant like it's, mm -hmm. it's nothing like what the original pack film will ever be but it's an option and yeah it's a way to use the cameras but it's not a pack a pack no. implies there's more than one sheet yeah, and, which is uh, why they call it the one. I'm not knocking them. They need to do what they need to do so that we can get to the next step, right? Yeah. Um, but we miss having a real pack of multiple shots of film. Yeah, I, I call it unicorn tears because it's like every time you pull the strip, it's just like one less tear in the unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 just a magical film, though. Um, and the, the process, like I really enjoy... The, the process of shooting those pack film cameras and stuff like it's kind yeah. of it's a neat ritual when when you're using those cameras and people love the peel like that that's all yeah. the peel is great it's there's something about having like this big like accordion camera yeah it feels it's like large format but it's like a point shape but easy yeah it's so much fun yeah like that i recently picked up a 195 um because yeah. i i'm um doing a planning a book project with the few packs of pack film I have left and I'm going to be using the 195 on that and um, yeah it's just that there's that something cool about that bellows yeah, it's it's such a nice camera it's, like, it's, it's so great have you guys ever uh, messed with any of the new 55 stuff yeah yeah a lot actually yeah it's nice. great I mean it's hard to come by and it's expensive um, but it's great and there was a scare when they just looked like they were going to stop making it, but they're still making it. I think there's room for more of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. There is a lot more room out there, especially as our community grows. And we need to keep talking about these smaller companies that don't have like the budgets to make something on a massive scale to make it $9 a pack, but yeah. they're still making it. And like, yeah, sure. I'm not going to shoot, you know, a hundred sheets of new 55 this year, just because, Personally, I can't afford to do that, but I'm going to shoot some, and I'm continuing to support them. Um, and hopefully, things technology continues to grow, and they find ways to partner with other people who like you know coats 
something, find ways to save money and make the product better. That's just how, how it's going to work because we're in each community now. And as long yeah. as we continue to support the people who are, who are pushing stuff, there's, there's a lot of new stuff going to come out. I swear, like in the next 10 years, we're, there's going to be a whole bunch of new films and uh, formats and hopefully cameras too. Hopefully, fingers crossed on the cameras thing. My favorite cameras would probably be the old ones just because I love old stuff. But <laughs> but we need new ones too. New, yeah, like it's I, I do like the old cameras. There's just something like that's what um what really drew me into film was was the cameras, like that that older gear. And also it's just like all this stuff that when I was younger I sort of like lusted after I'm like I could never afford that. And it's like now as an adult with money I, I can. Yeah. So it's just like all these things that were unattainable when I was a kid. I, I can play around with them now, which is cool. I do have a question though. The new 55 thing, um, you know, uh, jarred it loose. If and when you guys do four by five in, in any of the film types, thoughts on making something that would be ready load or quick load compatible? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. We don't have anything that's, we don't have a plan I can't show yet. you anything. Yeah. <laughs> But I know how it works, and if we can work with New 55 or uh, find a new process or a new way of manufacturing it so it can become available, yeah, we're we, totally down. I loved, I love the ready shoot stuff, the, the quick load, uh, I think is what Fuji called it, and then ready load. Yeah, it was ready, ready load, load for Kodak and quick yeah. load for, for Fuji, uh, because it was like a joint project. Yeah, they between. collaborated on designing it, yeah. We're gonna. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if we're able to find a way to do that soon. And by soon, yeah. I can't really put it. That's not a number. <laughs> it's just as soon as as soon as it's possible. It, I would it, love that. It, it's great for convenience. Um, and and it takes some of the intimidation of like having to always have a dark bag, film changing bag. So so more people can get into shooting large format. Yeah. So I think it's there's there's still a need for it these days with the industry growing as it is people learning it's like it's great and then you can save some money if you own a lot of your film into holders but it's going to be more expensive obviously yeah. there's more you're buying more things it's assembled differently but um yeah i we would want that because that's what we're all about we want to make it so that it's easy for people to shoot film and our film and shoot it in more situations and yeah. shoot more different types of film so like we want to do that for sure nice well, I won't hold you guys to it, but it, it's good to know that could be another option out there. And like, I know another guest that I had on here would be very stoked about um, some sort of ready load type coming back. Yeah. Uh, he he grilled some of the guys at Kodak when he was over there about um, why it doesn't exist. And I think Matt set him up with one of the engineers to explain why it died. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's not easy. We're not saying we can solve the world's problems, but we think the community of all analog manufacturing can probably figure it out. Somebody. Right? So um, I think that's going to be the future of film photography and analog grow Filling this new demand that's going to only keep growing is hard because everything got scaled back so far during the digital revolution. And now there's a renaissance of film, and scaling it back up isn't easy. And so that has to be actually the first priority. And then secondly, as things scale up, maybe some things that weren't feasible will become feasible again and again like i said before um new ways of manufacturing can be in innovated um new materials new designs similar to, to or ways of, of uh designing 
like with 3D printing and, and it's, we don't know what the next decade has in store. So you can't say nothing's never gonna come back, especially when you have a growing demand for it. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance to actually, what doesn't make sense today will make sense tomorrow. Hmm. So, but they're not lying. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's true. I mean, some things, nothing, nothing lasts forever, but yeah. um, it, it's nice to think about how awesome things were in the past, I, I guess, with some, some of yeah. the film types that were out there and stuff. Like, um, But I mean, it, it's a nice privilege that we're still able to take advantage of film media today, um, both in like 35 mil and 120 and the large format and, and the instant formats that are still around in, in yeah, some ways. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun falling down into this rabbit hole of uh, of all this photography stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think anyone else has had any other questions come up here, or is it? Uh, Alan says we can't keep pre-owned film cameras. Yeah, some great, great comments. Doesn't matter what it is or how old our CL and M is off the shelf in no time. That doesn't surprise yep. me. No, that's the thing. That's where I think optimism is okay. I mean, we all got to be like realist. Realist. I mean, it is a fragile industry. With the technology that it goes away, it's hard to bring back. Um, (laughs) So we all need to be pooling together. Film is not dead, right? You know, like that's a long-lived film. We can keep having that attitude as well. But also, we're great community people, and we're willing to put our money where our mouth is and support new ventures and new companies trying to to revolutionize. Uh, analog using new technologies to produce analog formats and stuff. Yeah. I think I'm very optimistic that this is just going to continue to grow, that the community is going to continue to grow and the companies that are providing the things that we need to make our photography will stick around. Because it's, yeah. it's passion now. Um, I think there's so is. much passion, even in the manufacturing side, the companies that are still around. Uh, people are still employed by the big corporations, which may corporations may not be as passionate the people there though are incredibly passionate so yeah brandy says stay broke shoot film and uh barb (laughs) here says if duran duran can release new music in 2021 i think kodak and fuji can drop new emulsions it's only fair hey you know what (laughs) kodak's been doing it kodak has yeah kodak has been fantastic which you know why i have mad love for kodak um it's usually what's in the fridge um like it's yeah, I've spent more money. Someone asked me once, it's like, how much money have you spent on film since you started shooting it a couple of years ago? And I started working it out in my head, and I was like, I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't like it. <laughs> how much money have you spent on fast food? Yeah. How much well, yeah, that's that's absolutely that's a very fair question. Um, Let's not look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's also interesting, too, just like, you know, the sort of film versus digital argument um, that kind of goes out there. And it's like, I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, personally. And I'm kind of curious on your guys' thoughts around this. Like, I think they're just all tools. And whichever tool works best for you is is the tool you should run with. One's better than the other in a given situation. Yes. With a given goal. Yeah. But overall, it's all technology. It's all tools. Yeah, it depends how you use it as well. You may have to uh, behave differently when you're trying to use a different tool, right? And some tools aren't right for certain jobs. But I would say that both digital and film are right for any job. 
at this point. I think the digital revolution is over. It's here. It's finally good because it wasn't for a long time. Oh yeah, early yeah. 2000s. My, almost, almost all my original complaints of why some film is superior, superior were not unfounded. It was superior for a very long time when digital became very popular because they, they pushed the sales of a product that was subpar because in order to get to their end goal, they had to move mass quantities and then it got better, so it worked. But they kind of tricked a lot of people early on, adopters of digital, regretted it over and over again. They sold all their film gear, went digital, and then like within a certain amount of time, they're like, man, why'd I sell all the gear? Yeah, like 2003, for example. Yeah. That's like the heyday of the digital revolution. If you go back and look at those images, they're not as good. They don't hold up. They don't hold up. But now, yeah, film's timeless. Now, yeah, I agree. It's, it's just a different tool. Um, there's benefits in different situations to each. Um, but to me, as a photographer who does photography because of the creative aspect and the experience of shooting, and, and I feel like the images are actually, it's not just my experience either. It's the images are affected by how my experience is while shooting, and it changes my creative vision. I'm all about film still. I'll say film superior all day long for me. Yeah. I mean, is it? And for a lot of people. Which is superior? Um, doing an Instagram live or sitting down in person and chat. Well, sit, sitting down in person and chatting, of course. Oh, there you go. You guys are back now. Did we yeah, freeze? It cut out for a second. Didn't it? Yeah, you cut out there. But I, I would agree. Yeah, like you know, the more superior thing would be sitting down in person and chatting over the Instagram live. But you know, this is this is what we got today. But look I how many this. people can participate in this. We got fourteen eyeballs up there or something, and there are lots people of talking. Like that wouldn't happen if it was contributing. Just us. Yeah. So there's a benefit to both. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's one of the uh, primary reasons why I've I've kept this format as an Instagram live is. Uh, well, one of them, I'm just, I'm really lazy and it's like nice to just push the button and it's live. And then, you know, we're talking to people and there's not a lot of extra work that has to be done there. But the biggest reason is um, having it being able to be interactive where yeah. as I'm having this chat with people, other people can be like chiming in and asking questions. And, um, you know, it's, it's been fun having um, more accessibility to people in the community because, um there's been a few times where I've felt like overwhelmed by this project and wanted to just like wind it down. And then I'll get like a message from someone that's like, Hey, this is really cool that you're doing this. Like, you know, I'm stuck in this like lockdown situation, COVID. And like, this is, it feels like I'm virtually meeting people or, you know, I never thought I'd be able to ask that question to this person, but you know, you did the live and I was able to like, you know, interact with this person. So it was just kind of like, all right, well, this thing's sort of like more than just me now. So it's uh, something I'm going to keep going uh, on with as long as people want to be guests and people keep showing up. Yep, cool. Yeah, awesome. I love it. This is this is great for, for this our little community or just whoever wants to be involved. It's fun for us. Um, it's, I love how casual it is. Uh, I would encourage you to keep it up. I mean, our friends jump in. We get to give them a hard time. They give us a hard time back. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not like a official recorded interview in front of a microphone. It's 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 still in format, and I think it's cool that we're using it. Um, technology is not a bad thing. No, it's not terrible. Like I mean, it well, it can be. Um, it, it can all be. sort of depends on on what you do with it. Like yeah. I work with technology in my day job, and 
yeah it can be kind of weird sometimes but it's nice how it, it does connect us more like um it was interesting seeing how because like last year we did uh the policon five as a virtual event um which was interesting because a lot of people are sort of like worried about like how policon um would work as a virtual event but the event organizers daniel and um and andy and the team down there and armand at the camera exchange did a great job facilitating it and it was really interesting the feedback that they got of people from all over around all around the world that had heard of Policon had always wanted to go but couldn't get to Texas. So they're like, this is so rad that now it's a virtual event because like I've heard about this for a couple of years and like I've always wanted to go and now I can kind of attend. Um, so it was, it was neat to see, like it was sad that we couldn't go see all of our friends that we'd get to see every year at the, the, yeah. the Policon events, but it was also neat to like meet new people and virtually see new faces and have this world that we loved so much open up to a broader scope of people. That's cool. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Cool. It was really wild. Well, I appreciate you guys hopping on the chat with me. It's been, here. It's been it a was, good, it was nice awesome. long rolling conversation. I like it. It's been fun. Is it? Yeah, Brandy says here they're going to keep moving forward with a hybrid format. So, yeah, I believe this year's uh, Policon is also still going to be, like, part in-person and uh, part uh, virtual as well, too. Um, but I can't wait for the border to open up so that uh, Phil and the team at the darkroom can put together another film Padilla. Yeah, definitely. Next one's going to be even better. Yeah, hopefully. If everyone will be super stoked because it's been, like, geez, like, what, almost three years since the last one now? Yeah. Yeah. We're ready. Definitely. Well, Definitely thank you so it. much, guys, for uh, joining me this week and everyone for tuning in. Um, I really appreciate you. Of course, I, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you guys uh, popping on. And uh, next week, I'm going to have uh, Conspiracy of Cartographers on uh, to chat about his work. So awesome. looking forward to that. All right. Cool, guys. guys. Well, later. have a great weekend, and everyone stay safe out there. Yeah, everyone stay safe. It's good to – I'm glad you all joined in and all the good questions and comments. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.